What's good, everybody? Before I get to the show, I must let you know that this episode is brought to you by Camp Elso. Camp Elso is a nonprofit organization which was founded by four black women, and their mission is to provide opportunities for black and brown elementary and middle-aged children to experience life science outdoors and also to get early access to the STEM fields. Now, they got a big event coming, all right? On February 20th, 2020, from 6 to 8.30 at Alder Elementary in Portland, Oregon, Camp Elso invites you to bring your daughters, granddaughters, nieces, etc., to come to their event, which is titled Girls Day. This event will be showcasing engineers that are women of color, and they will show our girls how to build structures, write code, and learn about engineering programs uh, in and around Portland. Also, dinner is included. All right, so don't miss out on the chance to have dinner with the engineer. This event is free, but be sure to register through the Eventbrite app or website. So we need y'all to register because if you don't register and you just show up, there may not be enough food for everybody. So let's not be hungry from 6 to 8.30 p.m. All right, so uh, once again, the event is free. Be sure to register through the Eventbrite app or website. Uh, Camp Elso, Girls Day 220. 2020. Now let's get back to the episode. You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy Emmanuel. I'm back. I'm not in the kitchen. I'm not in the studio. I'm here on location at 2915 Northeast MLK in Portland, Oregon, at Black Parent Initiative, and I have a very special guest. Um, this guest is many things. I just found out she's a theologian. <laughs> she's a wife, a mother, a daughter, sister, uh, African dance instructor. Is that right? A retreat leader has worked as a social worker, um, child and family therapist for over 15 years. She is a student finishing up her doctorate in social work, focusing on black girls and foster care and has most recently become the executive director of the Black Parent Initiative here in Portland, Oregon. I present to you the wonderful and phenomenal <laughs> Bahia Overton. Bahia, say what's up to the people. What's up, people? <laughs> Thank you for making this happen. And uh, I'm just so glad to be here and talk to you about this. Um, I know I said a lot about you. <laughs> if you can tell us a little bit more about who you are, where you're from, and what's a typical day in the life of Bahia Overton. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm originally from Los Angeles. Okay. Um, I came here when I was about, I think, six or seven, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, and um, was raised here mm-hmm. in Portland with uh, not too many, much family, but uh, one sibling of each of my parents and their kids and nice. um, I went to Benson High School went to Terry Tubman Middle School Benson okay. High School um, and then I left and I went to University of Oregon uh, Fisk University HBCU mm. All right. <laughs> and then um, lived in Louisiana lived in Michigan came back home um, and went back to Portland State dope yeah so I've just been working in the social services and in uh, mental health and really just trying to support my community for mm-hmm. Ever. The one thing you didn't say that I will say is that I'm the owner of Bahia Honey Beauty and Wellbeing. Okay. I, was, is, I, I, I didn't leave that out, did I? Oh, oh my no, goodness. That, I mean, it's just, I, I have to do a shame. You got to. You got to. No, I, I was actually going to mention it already, but I don't know why I didn't put it's that out. It's all good. It's all good. Um, and, and so that's something that I am very excited about. Um, sure. Working on that. And it's funny because going into social services was... My goal was to help black and brown children feel better in their own skin. Mm-hmm. And so it's ironic that I make lotion that right. literally like makes you feel better in, yeah. your, in your skin. I got a funny story about that. Too. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I have two lovely children that I birthed and a cousin that I'm adopting who will also be soon my, technically my son, even though he's my cousin. So. That's, that's awesome. I should have known that you went to Benson. Of course, all great people that are doing amazing <laughs> things in Portland went to Benson. Um, so you went to Fisk. Yes. Uh, I went to Texas Southern okay, in Houston. Yes. Mm-hmm. My sisters went to Tennessee State. I don't know okay. if y'all beefing. Are we no, good? no, no, we're okay. good. We're good. All right. So tell me about, I always like to tell a story. I, I've told it so my listeners have heard it many times, but tell the people about growing up in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and then going 
to HBCU, what that culture shock is like and just what it did for you just as a black person. So, yeah, I I was introduced to black colleges through the black college conference they used to have here in Portland. You know, uh, my friends who come from Chicago and the places they would go on black college tours, which I've heard they do more uh, often now in Portland. But Mm -hmm. back then, nobody was traveling anywhere. So they would come to us and they would do this conference every year, which we looked forward to every year. Mm -hmm. All these black colleges come and they promote their college and Fisk, they were just very hype. So mm-hmm. I was like, they are really nice and really hyped up yeah. and easygoing. And so I chickened out of going to Fisk. I applied. Mm-hmm. I got accepted, but I didn't go. Because I was like, oh, it's kind you of far. I've never been to, been to Tennessee. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I um, went to University of Oregon. It was a safe bet two hours away. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And then I was just like. Just for like one year? Yeah, I was a duck cheerleader for a quick second. Okay. And then um, I was like, yeah, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. So um, I'd never seen Tennessee before. And I got on a plane and I moved. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I didn't see. And I showed up. And I had like $1,000 to my name. So I had $1,000. Oh, it was for the first month of the 12-month payment plan. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> my feeling was, they can't send me all the way to home, which I don't know why I thought that they would absolutely have sent me home, but I <laughs> just figured they're not going to send me all the way back to Oregon. Just taking a so chance, I got that. You? I got in that first, let's see, was semester system, so I know I'm going to have to pay again oh, to at least mid-year. Right, right. So if I could get registered and get my grades, then, you know, mm-hmm. I just had to figure it out how to get some money between it. So then I, I worked really hard, got a scholarship, mm-hmm. and paid for the rest of my Dope. undergrad. That's but, awesome. It was a little bit sweating, a little sweating right, first, first, right. first you semester. Was, you was out mm-hmm. there, but yeah, it but made it, it was and it was amazing. They could, literally one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. For right sure. now, I have a brother who's at visiting Howard right now, yeah. and I'm super excited for him because when you go somewhere and there's a certain sense of normalcy, mm. there's a certain sense of you actually can be an individual mm-hmm. because. You know, I used to listen to Alanis Morissette and Green Day and all kinds of stuff mm. when I was at U of O, and I remember some students. You being took like, that down to Tennessee. I was well, yeah, me too. <laughs> so I mean, like I've always been like a little bit of a headbanger. I love like Jimi Hendrix, and Word. so my uh, my friends at U of O were like, "Hey, there's only like six of us here who aren't on a- uh, athletic scholarship. Like, you mm. can't be retro girl. Like, wait." I was like, "I'm down for the people. I right. just like my, you know, yeah. little alternative." Right. And so when I got to, uh, but it was like. Uh, pressure to comply like we got to be black enough in this one way we did not have a diverse narrative for what blackness could be so when i got to nashville everybody's kind of like you here you must be good to be black you must be good and and they come my room like oh that's how they get down in in oregon oregonian girls get down like this and i had everybody rocking out to my Mm -hmm. my song and nobody felt like it was it made me less black there's not one way to be black. We had black Carib- people from the Caribbean. We had black people from Africa. We had black people from the South, Midwest, East Coast. So there was no way to be one way to be black. Right. You couldn't define for that. Sure. For sure. I finally sure. learned how, like the techno music that I never understood what people listen to here. Mm-hmm. Like when I heard the house version and mm-hmm. my Chicago folks were dancing to it, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's how you dance this music. Right, right. Because <laughs> we didn't have that, you know, so. Two things before we get started. Okay. So let me see what's the first thing. First thing is, about four years ago, when I was starting to mm-hmm. go on my journey to start this podcast, I was really conflicted about what race was mm-hmm. and how it works and how it plays out, especially in the church. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what alerted me to it was in the church, you know, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, mm-hmm. um, Flannel Castle, all these things happening. And I'm like, nothing in the church is changing. Mm-hmm. Like my pastor other pastors locally like nobody's really addressing the issue Mm -hmm. and i don't see black christians and white christians coming together and feeling the same way about these events Mm -hmm. and so i'm like wait why is racism so strong why is racism stronger than the holy spirit right now because (laughs) the holy spirit is supposed to bring Bring us together together, and if anything according Mm -hmm. to the scriptures the holy spirit should be stronger than any force exactly Mm -hmm. but the force of racism Mm -hmm. Is stronger right now. The way it's playing out, I'm not saying for real, for real, but like right now, racism, white supremacy is stronger than the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. So I started researching race. Mm-hmm. There was a viral clip that went out, and I was like, let me watch the whole thing. And so I watched the whole thing, and I was watching with my wife. I was like, man, this woman looked familiar. I was like, man, this this somebody on my Facebook that looked just like her. <laughs> and she was just like, what are you talking? I was like, look, don't she? Have you seen her before? I'm like, she's like, no, I've never seen her. <laughs> and then one day I was on Facebook or Instagram or something. 
and it was your page. And it was, and it was you. And I was like, oh <laughs> my God. I said, babe, this is her. I was like, do you know her? Like, we're praising for I don't know her, but, you know, everybody right, from Portland right, right. connected. She's like, oh yeah, I think she does African dance. I was like, that's her mom. Remember when we was watching? <laughs> so your mom yeah. helped me, like, no. understand race. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a blessing to me oh, because good. I watched that video. It was like something that she made um, maybe back in 07. Like Nothing yeah. is on the internet she put on there. Somebody else did. Oh, for Everything real? Is on okay. There. It was, she was, I think she was like in England. I think mm-hmm. it was when her, maybe when her book first came out. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. PTSS. Yeah. Post-traumatic, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was watching that and I was like, yo, that's crazy. <laughs> and so that was like one connection. Mm-hmm. And then another thing was about three years ago, I think I was just looking for something for my wife for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I seen on maybe a Facebook ad or just mm-hmm. something on social media, and it was like this lotion. <laughs> and I seen like a whole bunch of black people <laughs> like using it and right. had testimonials. Right. I was like, "Yo, this looks dope." And then it was like, "But he a honey." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and then later on, I kind of put two and two together. I was like, "Wait, there's a girl in Portland named Bahia." <laughs> Wait, let me see if I can connect the dots. So and I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, hey, this lady, remember that, that woman's mom? This is like, so funny. And then I was like, look, this girl's from Portland. So, like, everybody's from Portland. This is amazing. So and so so I've known you and known of you and your family for so quite funny. some time. That's so funny. <laughs> and now I come here and find out that you and my sister-in-law was really good friends That's back right. in high school. That's, That's crazy. Yeah, so, okay. um, and I didn't mention, I didn't mention the entrepreneurial part, but I do oh, want to ask yeah. about you being an entrepreneur, like you doing that, and now you're an executive director, mm-hmm. like you started a business, you running a business from the ground up, mm-hmm. and now you're walking into a position of a, a organization that's already established. Mm-hmm. How do you compare and contrast those two situations and how is uh, the former gonna help the latter? You know, I think the biggest thing is, and I'm very excited about this role because I do think that, um, I don't know a lot of executive directors in Portland who were on the ground as a social worker or a mm. mental health person or um, I don't know that I, I mean I know that there's a lot of people who are very compassionate for and, and excited about working with our community and with our community but I don't know a lot of people who've actually been on the ground doing those kind of social service you know and the level of empathy that is required to uplift our community I don't think people are aware of and the reason why I bring that up is because I believe every good idea comes from inspiration and is um, the way that you feed that idea, that inspiration, is through um, empathetically um, engagement, and empathetic engagement. Which that, what I mean by that is that my daughter, my lotion company came because my daughter was scratching her skin off at night, and mm. I was like, "This is ridiculous." Mm. And every day I would try all these different things, and it would be like a chalkboard at the end of the day on her back, like mm. just dry, just not. And I'm like, "What is going on?" Her skin was just like drinking lotion. Mm. And I was like, okay. And I had a friend of mine who was a nature fan. I was like, maybe you should make your own. And I'm like, I'm not a chemist who makes their own lotion. Like, come on. But I just started trying. But it was out of my, like, desperation as a mother mm-hmm. that that inspiration came from. And what I've learned as a researcher and as a social worker um, is that when you ask people to tell you their stories, you collect data in a way that will help you create sustainable change for them. Mm-hmm. And so... The reason why I know that as an entrepreneur is because, again, my personal experience and my empathy for my daughter fed into what created something that helps people who have far worse eczema than she has. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't because I was trying to be a lotion mogul. Okay? <laughs> it came out of my compassion for my child. And mm-hmm. I do think that my compassion for my community is why I'm in the role that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, and teaching my staff, really training them in collecting stories mm-hmm. from people. That gives you the insight. And so I think understanding how my business grew and where it came from and and how it's impacted people, which came out of an inspired place from empathy Mm -hmm. and talking to parents and saying, tell me about a time that you really felt seen and heard. What was happening and what were people doing? What do you wish they would have done? And what do you think would have changed everything? When you collect that kind of data, you turn that data into intervention, then you see sustainable change. So long as we keep doing to community and not finding out like that's my daughter so does your skin feel dry does it feel what does it feel like if I collect that data from her um, then I can figure out a way to help her but if you're not if you keep doing to the community without being with the community Mm. you're not going to get any sustainable change so for me it all feeds into my experience to say like I feel like we can have sustainable growth and change to make our community 
thrive because we're going to use the community as the experts in the process. Yeah. Just like my daughter was an expert in her own itchy skin. Right, for sure. <laughs> that helped me. So I think that they, they, they blend well together. I've trained my kids a lot in my business, so they are doing a lot of the, the footwork since I am yeah. uh, running this, this organization. But um, I think that going with inspiration and empathy is always going to take you to good places in Absolutely. business or in management. For sure. I agree. So tell us about what BPI is doing, what you guys are working on right now, the mission, mm -hmm. um, just what people need to know about yeah. Black Parent Initiative. Well, what they need to know, one, is that um, BPI has been doing services in the community and with children without disruption. Mm -hmm. So even though there has been periods of time when you haven't seen really publicly what's going on behind the scenes, um, services never stopped. Mm -hmm. Families are still being served. Our new kind of focus, I want to say new, our very targeted focus mm -hmm. is that we're looking at the first thousand days of life. Really, honestly, it's like wow. from prenatal care through doula services, lactation services to home visiting and employment support for parents mm -hmm. and school engagement for small children. That process of making sure that the child has the very best start and then looking at a continuum, warm handoff to maybe some culture specific uh, early uh, childhood uh, like a Albine Head Start. Warm handoff to Albion Head Start so they've kind of gotten what they need. Um, they're born to learn. They're ready to learn. So if you are a parent who's been displaced to East County, it's a food desert, you are housing insecure, you're food insecure, um, you're not, you don't have stable employment, how do you think that that baby is going to thrive in that womb of that stressed parent? You're bathing them in stress hormone. You're bathing them in cortisol. And then you want them to be able to function as a preschooler, first grader, kindergarten, first grader. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. So we're saying that learning happens in utero. So we want you to be born with a brain that's ready to learn and receive. Mm. So we, our doula services, our home visiting services is de are designed to support these mothers so that they create an environment where their child's brain can develop in a healthy way. And then once they're born, they have the supports um, that they need in order to be able to move into an educational system that will, um, is going to try to beat them down. But as, as long as they are kind of the foundation of that is built and then teaching parents how to advocate for their kids in the mental health and the health, social welfare and in education. I mean, that's the goal in the continuum. But our services are very targeted to that early side. And we are probably the only group culturally specific who's looking at that early yeah um right now which is it gives us a unique um opportunity that so. is that is amazing and one of the most amazing I mean, that that itself is amazing but in addition to that it's black parent initiative mm -hmm. and so one of the things that i kind of notice and it's no not but it's just what's really going on out here is that especially here in portland mm -hmm. um people and or organizations mm -hmm are kind of, I don't, I don't know how to put it without, they don't want to be black first or black mm -hmm. only. Mm -hmm. And so out of their, their own response of just like being cool, it's, that's you know funding. what I mean? It's funding. It's funding. Is, is it's it funding. the funding? Because funding says, you know, when you start talking about, and this is what I always tell people, when you get to funding, especially when you're talking about federal dollars or yeah. state dollars, you know, you're saying, I have to be open to all people, right? If an organization just tried to discriminate against black people or said nobody Latino can come here, they're going to mm -hmm. be in trouble. Right. So how is it you can get away with saying, you know, black parent initiatives? Yeah. I've had people say, well, you should search. I say, here's the bottom line. We are prioritizing. We're culture specific. We're not just culturally responsive. Mm -hmm. There's culture responsive services that say we're going to respond in a cultural appropriate way. Right. That's different than saying we're culture specific. Yeah. Meaning that, and this is part of the reason, I mean, even in, my experience as a, as a, as a um, executive director, mm -hmm. doing things in a very black way. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Having people and say, you know, I'm, I'm results driven. I'm not time and chair driven. Mm -hmm. I don't need to see you sitting here to do your work to know that you're doing your work. That's right. not, I'm not built on hierarchy. I don't need that. Yeah. I believe in you. I believe in you. I respect you. I believe that you have um, knowledge and expertise in what you do. And we'll check in on that, but I don't have to monitor you or manage you in that way. And so I think starting from how we treat each other. Mm -hmm. And then I told, I was telling the staff, I said, there is a quote, it comes from the Baha'i faith, but it says, where there is love, nothing is too much trouble and there's always time. Mm. And for me, that's the, that's the vibe that I want our parents to feel. Yeah. We love you. We value you. We believe that there is, you're not just 
underserved and underprivileged and marginalized and underachieving and and struggling. We we look at you we're like you're brilliant and you're beautiful Those and you're promised and you're emerging yes, and yes, you are let's go. And, and 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 you're and you're not only just resilient, you're inspirational and yes. you are visionary. And like these are the things that we need to feedback. I was saying we need to do I'm talking to some people at Open Signal about doing a campaign to just promote the beauty and and the wellness and the health of our community. Mm-hmm. It's not everywhere, but we have it. Yes. So we don't need to keep seeing the narrative of right. I remember have you ever seen Wednesday's child and they would post up a kid on Wednesday and be like this child can you send for this child oh, foster no, care no. yeah Wednesday's child okay. I have a couple of people I do with Wednesday's children how come we can't have Wednesday's child that's a sparkling you know this child is doing amazing in school or this right. child is doing the community service or this mm-hmm. child is you know a stellar poet like mm-hmm. where are the campaigns to promote the beauty excellence. and excellence in yes. our community. And that's what I mean. I'm like, for me, it's all around asset based. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about deficit based. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about not language barriers, language opportunities. We also work with African families. So mm-hmm. it's, it's when we say black, we mean black and we and multiracial blacks. Yeah. You have people, um, you have, you know, white people who are raising black children. Those black children need to be advocated for. So, you, so, so, so as much as you're not black, mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that those children are being supported. We, right. You're, you're black parent by virtue of the fact that you're black children right. in that sense. Yeah. You got to learn how to, to navigate for them in the mm-hmm. best way possible. So for me, I'm very excited and it keeps me up at night because I'm always thinking about ways to highlight what we have. Yeah. I do not want to keep talking about what we don't have. I'm going to highlight what we have. And once we show that what we do by focusing on what we do have, mm-hmm. that we will have long term results. I don't think we're going to have to look or beg for money. Right. I think that people go, oh, here's a, a, a process that works mm-hmm. for community, not for Bahia. I don't need Bahia to be bigged up by this. I need the community to say, wow, there's something that actually helped me make sure that my child was doing amazing. Yeah. And they love us at that organization. Yeah. That's what I want people to feel. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, a quote, something I was reading recently and it just stuck out to me in preparation for this show is that um, it's from John Henry Clark. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, the black man properly equipped, properly inspired, and properly led mm-hmm. is the greatest human resource the world has ever known. And yeah. I feel like that's what this organization, what you guys are doing here. It's like you're inspiring, you're equipping, mm-hmm. you're giving black from the beginning, though. Mm-hmm. And you're not waiting. Like, sometimes I was I was talking to somebody. If you hear this, I'm not saying your name, but you. Just, <laughs> we had this conversation. But um, their child goes to a private school mm-hmm. um, a very prestigious private school mm-hmm. and this parent was worried because they feel like they them putting their child and keeping their child in that private school has done more harm than good mm-hmm. to that to their child's identity you don't want to get me started on private school you know <laughs> and I don't and I don't want to go get started too because my son went to a certain school mm-hmm. is well I'll, I'll say the name I, my son went to Calvin Gable yeah. and he had three years of a hellacious traumatic experience and we got him out of there the, the sad part is he started at Kairos mm-hmm. why, why did we but, take him but, out of but, Kairos but, but he's okay. back in Kairos but, but it's too like this it's yeah. like this we have to this is I just had this conversation yesterday with okay. a friend of mine who has a five year old yeah. and I said this is what you need to understand mm-hmm. I said I don't begrudge any parent wanting their child to have the best for sure education for sure I said what is best is been skewed by white supremacy. That I said, and what I think you need fact. to understand is that, um, so my, my, one of my friends, her daughter's super smart, off the charts, super smart. And she was like concerned because of course, public education in Oregon is not the best. And am I getting my child going to get all the opportunities they deserve because they're so smart and am I going to be supplementing forever, blah, blah, blah. Now you can't tell people about their children. You can't tell them what to do with best for the children because they know what's best for their own child. However, I would say, I know one person who graduated from that particular institution, mm-hmm. who's black, who's still down for the black community, who still has a soul, still down who has, for- and has a strong black identity. <laughs> yeah. One person. Yeah. She works at Meyer. We won't name any names. Bottom line is, I think I and you do, of course you do. She's, she's solid. But, but, the, but the bottom line is, is that for me, what I told my daughter, my friend whose daughter is five, I mm-hmm. said, what's the most important to me, and this is even comes down to the point where we're talking about black teachers, more black teachers, more, more representation. Yes, there needs to be more representation in schools for children to see people who look like them. But most importantly, more than any of that, is a teacher who sees your intrinsic value and potentiality. If you have a teacher who believes you have potential and that you and, and values you and that child looks at that teacher and says, wow, that teacher believes in me. There are black teachers who don't do that. 
Okay, so That's I'm not. So I don't believe that you have to have. Now I do think that they should be able to look around the, the school and see. I don't care if it's the counselor, janitor, the mom, volunteer. They should see some black people in the school. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the teacher, you mm-hmm. need to be able to see the intrinsic value and potentiality in that child. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing to me. I don't care what color you are. If you believe in my child and you believe in their potential, just because you have a black face and you don't believe them, that's more injurious to me. I don't want that. But what I do think is that when it comes to when people say this is the best school, I said, well, stop right there and go and look and have them disaggregate the data and see how the black children do in that school. Mm -hmm. So why are you telling me it's the best school? If we disaggregate the data and say, but the black children are suffering in that Mm -hmm. school, it's not the best school for our kids. And if you go leave out of that school and you're like prepared for Ivy League, but you're like, I don't feel comfortable around black people. I'm that special. Part. That I'm part. different. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so used to being the special person. Then I suggest that, that, that your health and well-being, your mental health and well-being, your ability to connect with other people and love yourself, mm-hmm. what is success? You may be in Ivy League school, but you may hate yourself. You right. may not be able to connect with your own people. You may have no community. You may have isolation. Yeah. You may marry somebody who, who belittles you every day mm-hmm. because you don't believe you're worth mm-hmm. the same amount. Mm-hmm. And so these are things that are much more problematic for me. Now, conversely, I have to take this little bragging moment. My children have been in mediocre schools their whole life, mm-hmm. and I have always been an advocate for them. So I go into the classroom and say, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you, Miss mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I'm sure you're a wonderful teacher. I need to know the, the checkoff list and steps you're going to take to mitigate any potential harm that your unconscious bias may have in my child. Mm. And if they don't have an answer for me, I bet you their principal does. Somebody going to have an answer for me. Mm-hmm. Because I don't care if you're nice. I need to know what steps you're taking to make sure that any unconscious bias that you have is not going to harm my child. Mm. Now, since you know that I'm about that life, mm-hmm. I'll be up here to be a partner with you right. to make sure my child is successful. Yeah. But I have expectations for you. Right. And once we and, and I can give you the data that shows That's that fire. whether or not you think that you are biased, you probably are. Mm-hmm. And my daughter being in the space of you can do everything you're capable you're po- you know you're positive uh, my, my son used to say like I don't think my teacher likes me I'm like me either I said but here's the deal she's not smarter than you Yeah. I said and she can't get around you you put mm-hmm. the full court press on her mm-hmm. every time you got a question she can't get around you yeah. you, you, you I said you are you will outsmart her mm-hmm. regardless of whether she likes you she don't respect you yeah. because you're going to be the one that's going to defy everything because I can make him not feel oppressed by that situation For yeah sure. it's wrong she don't like you so you can outsmart her in this situation mm-hmm. and be everything that she thinks you can. Mm-hmm. And so there's a way to turn things around. Now, my daughter, she's 14 years old. She's a freshman. Mm-hmm. She's got a scholarship all the way to the PhD. Nice. Mediocre schools. <laughs> but guess what? Loves herself. Believes she's smart. Mm-hmm. Believes she can take care of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in AP physics. The girl, so she's a, a math science genius. That's yeah. how she is. My son Super poet, rapper, band. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the idea He's is the they artist. both. He's the artist. But they both still feel like they're worth something. For sure. And so for me, whether my son decides to go to school or get a technical job or whatever it is, mm-hmm. he loves who he is. He's kind. He values human beings. My daughter loves people. Social, engaging. You can create that without subscribing to some white ideal for what yeah. is best. Yeah. You know. And I go raising a confident. Chocolate skinned girl in Portland, Oregon. Mm. I get a high five. <laughs> Up top. Up top. That's that's for sure. I'm like, that's one of my And and, yeah. I, and I'm yeah. on that same wave. Mm-hmm. And I'm on that wave to the point where my son is about to be in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And he's about to be homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Because I'm realizing every time I go up to these schools, I know that I can educate my son mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Than these teachers, yeah. especially now that he has his foundational stuff out the mm-hmm. way, he got his basic math, mm-hmm. reading, mm-hmm. writing. That's done. Yeah, stuff that I don't. That's not fun to me. Right. You know what right. I mean? But like, all right, you're becoming a man. You're about right. to be 11 years old. Like, I can teach you about history. I can teach you about just life. I can teach you. Listen, because the they're not going to teach you no. A homeschool model, I think. Especially, I know people who've done it. Well, I know people who've done it extremely well, and people who've done—I I call their homeschool no school. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the, the homeschool model that a friend of mine uses is awesome. She has History Day. She takes her son to the, to the um, museum on certain day. Like she, she really cultivates and and she creates other social activities for him to be involved in. So he right. gets that social dynamic, for which sure. is what I think people worry about with homeschool yeah. kids. They're like, right, people. But if you make sure they're engaged, it's perfect. Yeah. Especially if, if, the math thing is navigating the world is important. Mm-hmm. My daughter really, really wanted to go to De La Salle. Really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to Grant, she's been re- reunited with her friends from Sabin, okay. which is hilarious. Nice. Um, she's like, where's my friends again? And it's so funny, <laughs> like, seeing her navigate that system, which 
is going to benefit her in some ways. Yeah. But the foundation was strong enough yeah. that that system's not going to break her. Yeah. My son can't do. He's like this high school thing. I'm not. He's in a home uh, um, online program. Mm-hmm. He goes into the school one day a week. He's not. Yeah. He's he's like I will do my work at home. Right. I will hang out with my dog and my friends will come over to see yeah. me. But he's not. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And yeah. so I think that. But what we do as parents, especially parents who are become or going or educated parents who um, are middle class or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that our value system around what is best mm-hmm. is so. Um, it's like hijacked by white supremacy in a lot of ways because I remember these women telling me you don't want your daughter to be in the smart program that's the start making a reader today program she was a kindergartner mm. you because know, they'll track her as being I said she's a kindergartner what's mm. the big what's the problem with her going to smart program mm. well you don't want I was like I want she wants to read I want her to read so yeah. I put her in smart mm-hmm. guess who was grabbing the smart, smart pamphlets in first grade no because now now you didn't seize the opportunity because mm. of what you thought the stigma was going to be. And my child was reading at a fourth grade level at that point. Mm-hmm. She was been reading. Yeah. So, so again, when you go off of what you know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I tell people, like, all of my friends, I have some friends of mine. I have my own theories about this. But my friends, I'm like the only mom that you would have at this age whose mom's name is Bahia. Okay? Mm-hmm. All the rest of us, above me, everybody was Irish, Joy, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Those are our parents, right? Right, right. Jamal. This is the first generation where you're like, my dad's name is Jamal. Yeah, <laughs> my yeah. mom's name is Keisha. That's, That's a fact. This generation, right. right? Our parents are like, we're doing something different. <laughs> um, but what I've noticed is my friends, a lot of their children's names are, you know, Madison Kennedy. Mm. You know, Penelope. Mm. I'm like, wow. It's like it's like waspy white names, right? And what I realized is just like our parents wanted the independence of naming us something different, yeah. they want their children to have this financial independence. They want their children to be able to get jobs in mm. a way based on a supremacist system, mm-hmm. right? That there's a the, the article I did, Don't Name Your Son um, Jamal. No, Don't Name Your Son Tyrone. Oh, yeah. It was called. There was a whole thing. I think it was Stanford. Check that out. Yeah, Don't Name Your Son Tyrone. What they did send out, they sent out 50 resumes. And all they changed was the first name. So the last name was like Williams or something like that. Yeah. And the first name they changed, it was like Ian and Nathan. And then oh. it was like Malik. And it was Tyrone. And they could say that just with names that they either didn't think they could pronounce or that they could identify <laughs> were black did not get called. It was the same exact resume. Right. They didn't change right. it to the first name. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, when I used to apply for jobs, I would type B dot Anise Overton. That was my that was my name for all my resumes. Mm. Because if you don't think you can say my name, you're not going to call me back. Right. My son, my, my brother's name is Nadine. And I used to be like, call yourself Nate. Nate Cross. I think I know your brother. Probably. Okay. <laughs> Nate, okay. Nate, oh, he went to, he was, he graduated, he would have graduated around the time. So yeah. maybe I had, I'm trying to think, Nadine. He has a, he has a kid, a at, Kairos. kid at Kairos. Two, yeah, two kids at Kairos. I know him. Yes, you know Nadine. Okay. okay. So yeah. So Nadine, I said, call yourself Nate. And he was like, Nate, when he was first coming out. I said, yeah, if, if a guy named Richard can call himself Dick, I think you call yourself Nate. <laughs> when you get in the door, when you get in the door, you say, oh, my name is Nadine. But in the beginning, oh, call shit. yourself Nate. Right. You know? So I think there's some strategies <laughs> to like getting around That's a fact. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. white supremacy. But you have to know these things. You can't tell your children, yes, you know, little Hussein, you can just do what <laughs> the world is yours. You've right. got to know, right. you know, that uh, what these barriers are in front of you. you and know part of, you and that's part of my mom's work is around, you know, racial socialization and sure. as, as opposed to racist socialization that, mm-hmm. you know, everything white is better than white man's ice is colder than mm-hmm. the black man's mm-hmm. ice. Like right. that mentality is mm-hmm. something that we have to get rid of. And at the same time, I tell my friends all the time, you're trying to give your kids everything you never had. Give them what you did have, which was hard work and mm. some level of, you know, struggle. Like, my kids, they're like, my son's favorite thing to say is suffer. Because I'm like, you're going to do this, this, this. Oh, suffer. Yeah, suffer. <laughs> suffer. Because it's, it's not really suffering. Right. You know, they, they're, they're all very privileged at this time. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Mm. I hate that. We are pressed up against the clock. My okay. son is probably the last kid waiting at Cairo <laughs> oh, no. right now. Get your <laughs> uh, but I do want to hit you with the Fab Five. Five questions I ask everybody. Okay. Uh, question number one is a two-part question. What is your favorite genre of music? Mm. First part. Okay. Um, I would say favorite genre of music. I think I like like 90s neo-soul and old school like jazz. Like I really love mm. like Coltrane and Miles Davis. Mm, okay. um, so I would say a mixture of like like 90s R&B Neo Soul, okay. which I, I really love. Well, tell yeah. me about the artist or album that made you fall in love with the 90s Neo Soul music. 
Um, probably loved, um, well, Neo Soul Hip Hop era. Probably, mm-hmm. I would say, Lauryn Hill, uh, Miss Education of uh, sure. Lauryn Hill was a really big piece of that time period. Mm-hmm. Love Jones soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Can't <laughs> go wrong with that. Very deep because. And when I was in college, it was the first time I ever saw a movie where it was reminding me of the people I wasn't interacting with in college, yeah. like normal black people who weren't like, nah, girl. Right. Exactly. For <laughs> and sure. Laugh track. You right. know, like, uh, so I would say um, during that time, and uh, Nas, the rapper Nas, my son's mm. Nas, um, around that time, just storytelling in general for yeah. black people, songs that told stories, Erica Badu during that time. Mm, period, for like, sure. Like st- storytelling, yeah. you know, yeah. I love that. Erica Badu, she's still fire. Yeah, still yeah. fire. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Oh my gosh! So, um, I built a house last year, and my whole thing was with your hands. No, <laughs> but what I did, what I did say was, we were trying to figure out, we were trying to move, trying to figure out where we're gonna live, mm-hmm. and I was like, either we can live far away mm-hmm. and be like, ah, or we can live closer and be in a small, dark, old house. Mm-hmm. I said, and, and I, I need, I need light because yeah. I'm like, this is already gray. Mm-hmm. And my whole, my joke was, if I'm being wet, white, Oregon, I gotta be able to get far away and relax. So wet white Oregon. Yeah. So uh, my my bath, I have a, an amazing bathtub. I can actually lay completely down and float in it if I want to. Oh, that's and amazing. jets. That's the go to. And Man, I miss that. My girl Jante. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna plug her, Jante. Uh, she's a massage therapist, and she's oh, like, oh like, I, I know, I know, you know her. Yeah, yeah. she's we were amazing massage yeah. therapist. I haven't been to her in a while, but yeah, I need to go. She back. is amazing. She comes to you now. She will come to you. So she's amazing. Really? Yeah, she Saturday morning she was at my house, and I was okay. Got a ninety minute real quick. She's amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. And okay. so, uh, so to massage and dance, I teach Afrofusion every Tuesday night for free to the community at Harry Tubman uh, in the dance studio. Because mostly for black women, it's for everybody. I probably went to you. She went to my class. Yeah, my, it's, it's she used to go to Dishman all the time and do African dance. Okay, well yeah. that's 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 uh, say cool. I take I'm, I'm part of his dance group. I dance okay, with him. so but this is just it's Afrofusion is um, it's less uh, technical. So African okay. dance is technical. It's yeah. difficult, but Afrofusion is like Afro Caribbean. It's mm-hmm. It's all it's it's like Afro beats. It's mm. a mixture, so I can kind of play with all of the things, and it's yeah. easier for women who aren't dancers to still mm-hmm. have a good time. Yeah. And I just did it, so I think it should be a place that Black women can feel, uh, can de-stress and just be able to be in their own, like to be appreciated. We start with points of gratitude. That's mm-hmm. what I think is. I have mantras, mm-hmm. so every day I have a mantra that I'm reciting, and it helps me um, be grateful. Yeah, I think. Gratitude helps me de-stress for sure. And then, like dancing, and that's like a form of meditation. Oh, for sure, love it's it. It's like a, it's almost like dynamic meditation. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's like I dance every day, every that's week. That's dope. Um, if you could choose any one celebrity to be your life coach, who would it be and why? Mm. Celebrity life coach. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. You know, I think I would probably choose uh, Michelle Obama because she was very a strategic. She's mm-hmm. a smart lady. Mm-hmm. She's compassionate. Um, I think she is I went to see her speak here not too long ago and some of the things that she said really made sense to me Um, she's a a very uh, intentional person and so I think probably would would get some good insight from her there's also a new upcoming psychiatrist that I like what she has to say her name is Dr. Jess She's, um, Mm. she's on Instagram and she posts things and she seems to be uh, kind of has a contemporary um, perspective about mental health that I think would be helpful for my work that I'm trying to for do. Sure. So yeah. probably one of them. Awesome. Um, if you woke up tomorrow and found out that you won the lottery for a hundred million dollars, how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward? A hundred million dollars. Um, you know, I would really figure out a way to create some institution or systemic change mm-hmm. somewhere for a system that I thought would work. So even if I had to go, into a an area that I, I want to see where I could have the most sustaining last lasting mm-hmm. change. I'm not a person who I still have a difficulty. My friends are telling me you should buy this. You buy. I have a hard time buying expensive things. As a matter of fact, I just I had someone challenge my thinking around that the other day because they were talking about cheap clothing, and I'm like, you pay this much money for something that looks like this, and she's like, yeah, but this was made by small hands by children in a factory somewhere in China. I'm like, oh. <laughs> actually true where she goes this was made in Italy and yeah it's expensive but there are no small hands making it and I'm like oh something to think about but anyway but but I think that I would I'm a person who 
a friend of mine got a car. I won't even name who. Well, <laughs> friend of mine's married to an NBA player, and I remember for her 18th birthday, he bought her this $80,000 Benz. And I remember thinking, you could have got a $40,000 car, and 40000 of that could have gone to, like, lunches for kids, right. like, in my mind. Like, yeah. So I think it would be, you know, something strategic, some of that. And some of it I would try to expand Bahia Honey, because it's, it's Bahia Honey Beauty and Well-Being. Yeah. And I think the well-being part I would expand. Okay. Um, if I had that money. I'm interested to know what area of people activity that you would attack. So mm-hmm. we got economics, education, mm-hmm. entertainment, labor, law, politics, mm-hmm. religion, sex, war. Um, I think education, education. Um, is because I think that when you have an education, it gives you the ability to navigate certain spaces in a way that I don't, I don't see that you can otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, some people, I said, I'm a hustler for letters. You collect mm-hmm. letters. The more you collect letters, I get these last little PhD figured out. Yeah. Um, you hustle letters, it, you will be able to use it. My mom will say all the time, she's got like four advanced degrees mm-hmm. and she didn't need any of them to do the work that she's doing. Mm-hmm. But nobody would be paying her or listening to her. She didn't. So part of me is it's, it's strategy means to an end. You mean I got to go back to school? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get around that. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get Collective. around that. Or, right? or, or, but you also can do it with spheres of influence. But I do think that when you have some, some time in the material, even if the material is trash, yeah. you can say, I read the material and it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's writing new fact. material. That's a fact. Um, yeah. But, you know, it gives you that, that, that foundational stuff. And especially with racism. Mm. Because I come into a space and I'm like, but you don't have this education, so what you going to say mm-hmm. to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you should do this reading before we engage in a discussion. Right. Because it, it, it equalizes me in a different way yeah. where otherwise short black women, you might feel like you can say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah, I mean, I don't. Even, we don't even need those letters behind our name no. to speak on racism because we lived it oh, our we, whole life. We're experts. Yeah. <laughs> the point, the, you know what? You have the highest paid. Uh, 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 so, uh, what do you call it? Equity, diversity, inclusion. Folks in Portland are white men who make the most money in this work. Of course. So my point is, it tells on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need that. But you know what also happens? Like my mother. My mother is the truth. I will say this. Oh, for sure. She's I will say that Joy as well. Degrew is amazing. Yes. But I will say that. There are some people who love to, what I call, get spanked by her in the sense that they're like, oh, I was at this very uncomfortable presentation and oh, ow, 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 it hurts mm. so good and do nothing. And they will do nothing after that. My goal I is... Call it, yeah. I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, they, but they hire those people a lot for trainings. To Not my, my mother. Mother has like actual knowledge and expertise, mm. but they'll hire people. She's intense though, mm. but they'll hire somebody who's intense without that knowledge and, and expertise mm. and then they'll go, oh. That girl, I just, I'm such a good person because I sat through that lashing of what y'all did to us kind of vibe, but no, no responsibility to do anything different. And my whole thing is stealthily, my plan is to have you, you know, clutching your pillow at night, contemplating whether or not you're racist. Because if you're doing that, if mm-hmm. I, if I put it in your heart just to be contemplating yourself, mm-hmm. I don't have to do any work. I can sleep well yep. because you're having to contemplate your own humanity. That's what we want everyone to be able to do. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to try to convince you of anything. It's for you to evaluate yourself. And if I can plant those kinds of seeds, then, you know, more long, long-term long changes. So, um, yeah. I got one more question. Oh. But before that, okay. I interviewed, are you uh, aware or familiar with Kara Walker, mm-hmm. the artist? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I interviewed Rebecca Peabody. She wrote a book about Kara Walker's art. Oh, okay, okay. And so, I didn't know anything. So, I had... Her friend, one of her friends that I interviewed, Kara uh, Cooney, she's an Egyptologist. She referred me to her. She's like, with your, with your content, you should talk to her. And I'm like, all right, cool. So she sent me the book, read okay. the book. My mind was blown. I was disturbed. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. But basically, after reading the book, I understood white supremacy in a way that it's not, I realize it's not personal. And everybody, like different strokes for different folks, literally. Mm-hmm. So basically what I was reading and what people, how white people get down with those presentations that you were saying, mm-hmm. or this type of art that Kara Walker mm-hmm. makes, it's racial BDSM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like some people during sex like to get choked, slapped, punched, yeah. uh, pinched, mm-hmm. whatever. They, they like to have right. extreme excruciating pain because that pain is pleasure. No, to somebody's it, pain is somebody else's pleasure, but and it's, so but it's not. But it's it's not. It's but what I think it's pseudo. It's it's like a pseudo pain. It's not a real pain. Like you said, it's it's, it's social. I mean, it's it's it's, it's uh, they're getting something from it. But it also it relieves them of the. It's like people who do the to slap themselves, flog themselves, mm-hmm. right? 
to constantly remind themselves of their own. But you're doing that without doing anything different. Right. It's just and psychological. So, yeah. just I'd rather like, you not feel guilty and actually. Oh, do me some too. Work. Me don't too. Don't feel guilty. In the exactly. I, I don't nothing. like it. It doesn't like help anybody. And I was right. like, and we and her were like, we kind of had a heated exchange at a certain <laughs> point in the interview because I'm like, mm-hmm. it's like you saying this about black culture, like, and and after I don't want to get into that, but basically after I just kind of realized like. I shouldn't necessarily be talking to white people <laughs> about racism. Mm-mm. Like that was probably the last interview I had with a white person. And it's not me trying to cut off a whole group of people, but I'm thinking where I'm at Mm-mm. and where they're at. It's just two totally you different. Have, but you have to just think about where you're going to engage and what your expectations are yeah. and your own well-being and health. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't engage in conversations. I'm going to leave unwell. Right. Okay. And if someone's going to trigger up. you in a way mm-hmm. that it's going to make you feel unwell. And mm-hmm. for me, I will be. I just did this training today with a school mm. classroom full of white teachers, yeah. and I said we start talking about racism mm-hmm. and the dynamics of racism and power. And it was a very comfortable conversation for me mm-hmm. because I'm not triggered by that. And I ask them all the time. All I'm asking you to do, I'm asking. I don't want you to be convinced by what I say. I don't want you to be. Re- I want you to be curious. And if you're curious, hmm, I don't agree with that. Why? I'm not asking you why. Ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling some kind of way in my body when she says this. Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with this. Why? Is it content contrary to what you've been told your whole life? Mm-hmm. Or and why do I want to accept what she's saying? Is it because my mom told me something opposite? This is the curiosity I want you to just agree to have. That's the only thing I want you to do is to be curious. Because if you're curious, you won't assume that you know. Yeah. And if you're curious, you'll continue to ask yourself questions. Mm-hmm. And so I always say that. So, so we're not, I'm not going to convince you. This is what I know to be true. You can accept it or not accept it. It's not, I don't take it personally or the other. But I'm just asking you to be curious. So when people start coming pushback, I go, I'm curious about why you feel that strongly about that. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, they have to be curious too, whether they like it or not. They have to. They have <laughs> right. to. And it's just like, yeah. yeah. You, once you take the uh, the emotion out of mm-hmm. it and kind of realize, and I, and I don't have anything against Rebecca or anybody. Like, it was just, I had to check myself and realize this is I not what I began should be engaging with you. Yeah, this. like yeah. I shouldn't be going here mm-hmm. with you. And I shouldn't be going there with anybody, to be honest. Well, it's not in the state. It depends on where you are. You gotta know where you are. True. And I should I should Yeah, and I and uh I just have to know what I expect to get out of the exchange before I go into the exchange. Well, not even expect, but recognize yourself. Mm-hmm. What are the triggers that you're gonna look for so that you know when you need to exit? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because when you people start to shut down, for me, I go, okay, I can tell you where the light is, which is, that's my goal. I told you, here's a light switch. You can debate with me in the dark all day if you want to. I'm not going to do that. I told you where it was. I'm not attached. I'm not going to walk you over there and turn it on. I'm just telling you this is where the light is. If you want to sit in the dark, I've done my job. I told you where the light was. Right. And at the end of the day, I can detach from that. Yeah. You you decide to ramble around the dark until you finally decide to turn the light on. Mm-hmm. That's not my process. I think what, yeah. what, my, what my big frustration was, like, I was trying to get her to see where I was coming from on my and I wanted her to agree with me. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, why am I trying to force somebody to agree <laughs> with my point of view? Like that is what am I doing to myself? Because you feel like that person's wrong. And so you're like, they would be better off if they knew the truth. The not not is, only I didn't yeah. think that they were wrong, but I just wanted them to agree. Like, okay, you have that point, but you gotta give me this. Right, right. And I'm like, wait. But why do shit. I need but why do you need them to give you anything? That's the thing you gotta be like, I don't need you to give me a validation. Exactly. So I had to look at myself. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I wanting them to see Well part of it is because you want them to understand and recognize your humanity. When people deny the reality that you have, it's mm-hmm. very frustrating. Because you're like, you know, people go like this, you tell somebody, and this happened, this happened, they're like, ah, I don't think it's that bad. Right. You want to choke them out. Or <laughs> you're like, what? You know, so right. I do understand that. But you have to take care of yourself. I don't Thanks. put myself in any situation where it's gonna harm me. Because life is too hard. We can walk around as black people. That's right. hard by itself. Yeah. So we're certainly not going to add on and tell by engaging you in a way that's going to hurt me right. further. Like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. 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 Don't do that. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I've learned my lesson. And Rebecca, I love you. Appreciate you. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, never again. <laughs> I, had, I had the wrong intentions on that one. Um, okay. Last last question. Okay. Question number five. You won't be around to enjoy this part of life, this part of the universe. But... Mm-hmm. Um, what message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Oh, message. Yes. Um, the, uh, the main thing is that I, I ran my leg well. Mm-hmm. I look at, I think about often my ancestor at year 135 of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, everybody before you has been a slave, everybody you'll ever know will be a slave. Mm-hmm. You don't kill yourself. 
Why? Because you believe that maybe, maybe future generations will be free. Mm-hmm. So you don't kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Even though everybody else's horrible things are happening to you every day. And everybody for the rest of your life at that point. Yeah. So I don't, not going to hit the tape in terms of like seeing everything move forward. But I think that running this leg for my children and to see what I tried to do. And even if the whole message is with all of her heart and all of her soul and spirit and any inspiration and breath in her body, she tried. Mm. And if, if at the end of the day, I'm okay with that. Even if I fail, I put all of my energy into trying to help people recognize their full humanity mm-hmm. in this world. And, yeah, and I talk about the time, my, race is a social construct. It's not real. Yeah. But it has a very real impact in the world. And it has been here for a long time. But I do believe there will be a point where people are like, can you believe people just talk, separate themselves by race? It's ridiculous. Right. I think that will happen at some point. I hope I, so. Not that I will see it. But it, I mean, it's inevitable. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's, it's, yeah. it, it's literally, there's no, re, there's no, we're not different species. There's no reason for us to be dividing ourselves by race. Right. But the reality is there are social implications for that. And when those social implications, again, we might have to be brought to our knees. If we're all refugees, ain't nobody can care that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It nobody has nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to take, right. but something's going to happen at some point because you can't keep living like this. Yeah. And so when something happens and everybody's like, you got some bread, ain't nobody care if you're the black guy with the bread, mm-hmm. they need some bread. I mean, those yeah. moments happen when tragedies happen. Exactly. 9-11 or that, whatever right. the case might be. Right. So, yeah. So sure. the world, so, and the world is getting tired of, of a few people having everything, mm-hmm. you know, and it's getting to the point where it's Man. like, you, you, you don't, I'm going to have it. Guess what? You're not going to have it either. I'm going right. to blow yours up. You're right. going to have it either. And so it's going to become that vibe and until people start to recognize our oneness. Mm-hmm. So if anything that I can do to advance that point, like yesterday, I won't let my son go to the store and get some candy. It was like 1130 and he wanted to just drive around. So I said, Nope. Mm. <laughs> I, said, I said, I know. He's like, Mom, I drive slow. I did. I said, hey, everything you're saying is probably correct. <laughs> I ain't reaching your life for no candy. Right. So hey, Trayvon Martin was going to get Skittles. Right. We ain't doing that. Yeah. I said, so, sure. and, he, and he was very frustrated with me that, yeah. you know, I'm just, can I take her with me? Nope. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going out Mm-mm. to get candy at this time. Yeah. Um, and so it, I don't, it's, it's unfortunate. And I hope that everything that we do, every breath in, in your body till the end of the time you die is to, to make that go away. Yeah. So. That's a fact. Simply put, but here, thank you so much oh, for, you. for allowing it's me to so come fun. and sit with you <laughs> and have this amazing conversation. I wish we had more time because there are so many things I so, wanted to get listen, to. Listen, but right? uh, it's all good. This is tell this you why I awesome. come to Afrofusion. Yeah, for sure. That's overdue. Yes. What time? It's six o'clock. Six o'clock Tuesday night, Matt Dishman. Nope. Six nope. o'clock Tuesday night, Harry Tubman dance. Harry Tubman, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. So my wife and everybody else that's in the Portland metro area come through. And get it's down free. Over here. It's free. Yeah, we it's have free. a good time. Um, any final words that people need to know about BPR? Watch and wait. There's going to be some wait. really, I think, innovative, exciting, beautiful things that come from this sure. organization. Awesome. So. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Once again, y'all, appreciate y'all for rocking with us. I will holler at y'all next week. It's the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Grace and peace.